My name is Chris. I'm one of the three pastors here at Eternal City, and I have the privilege of this fourth Sunday of Advent with you all. As you can see here, there's four candles on this graphic, and there's four weeks or four Sundays uh, of Advent, and we have been celebrating them up until this point. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Advent simply means awaiting the arrival of something awaiting the arrival of something. So I'm an 80s kid. I watched Back to the Future 1 and 2 and 3. And in number two that came out in 1989, there were these hoverboards, these flying skateboards. And I have been waiting for the advent of the flying skateboard since. And with all our technology, we still do not have flying skateboards. But if you're waiting like me for that to happen, you are waiting the advent of the flying skateboard. The, the, ad, the Advent season, though, for us, we are celebrating the first coming of Jesus. And from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus was promised in the form of a snake-crushing Messiah, Savior. And it's said like this, to the serpent, the curse is, there is coming one in which you will strike his heel, but this one will crush his head. So a striking of the heel happens. We see this fulfilled at the cross of Christ. And that striking of the heel of Jesus Christ was the absolute death blow to Satan, the crushing of his head. Because the power of death, which Satan held over us by the wages of our sin, is now defeated by Jesus. And Jesus is the great snake crusher, if you will. He smashes the head of the serpent who is our arch enemy. And so we have been traveling through Luke chapter 1 and 2, these four weeks of Advent. And we're going to finish now on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And the theme is love. And we are going to see that God so loved the world. world is everybody in the world that he gave Jesus his one and only son so that the opportunity would be there that whoever and that means whoever would believe in Jesus receive him can have eternal life and not perish not receive justice for their sins for their words for their thoughts for their deeds and so we're going to talk about uh, Jesus coming ultimately, as Tyree mentioned, to save his people from their sins. And we're going to do that through the lens of Luke chapter 2. We're going to go through it very quickly, very quickly, and we'll give some detail, and we're going to land on celebrating what Jesus accomplished by his birth, by his life, and by his death on the cross by celebrating communion together as one church. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This is the first of the Roman emperors, Caesar Augustus. He, he brought what's called the Pax Romana, which simply means Roman peace, which was a stability of the entire Roman uh, world, really. And he was ruling from Rome, the capital city, and he is also having the authority over Jerusalem and over Judea, over the land of Israel, of which Mary and Joseph and Mary with child, Jesus, is residing. And so he makes a decree, and being the authority of uh, that world, they have to obey his decree. What's the decree? That all the world should be registered. Now, it's not the entire world. It's the Roman world. 
and registered has to do with taxes, right? Uh, the government loves to take the taxes because it's with those taxes that they get to, at least in this context, hold down the peace, hopefully. How do we do that? Well, we employ systems of law and we employ law enforcement and jails and, and punishments and we collect taxes for administration, for roads being kept uh, in good working order. And so the decree goes out and all the Roman world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, this would make it simpler if you were to go to the town of your birth. It would make it a lot easier for the Roman administration to track you, to put you in the sentence, and then to be able to uh, assess you for taxes. And Joseph, this is Mary's betrothed husband, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. Now, that up, uh, as, as some of you know, is not like north, south to north, but rather up in elevation. This is why everyone always goes up to Jerusalem, because it's on a hill. So it's not like Florida to Pittsburgh uh, or, or Orlando to Pittsburgh. It's like up the mountain, that kind of up. So all are going up. Uh, I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary are going up from Galilee, which is in the north, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Because, this is why, he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, some of you know David was Israel's greatest king. He was the most loved king. He wrote almost all the Psalms, and he is highly favored by the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart, and he is given a promise by Nathan the prophet that he will have a son, and it's twofold, this prophecy to, to David. His son will build a temple, so we know this is Solomon, and Solomon did build the temple where God's presence would dwell in localized form. His glory would dwell inside the Holy of Holies, inside the temple of which David's son Solomon would build. But in addition, this promise is that your son's kingdom will never end. It will be an everlasting kingdom. Of his rule and of his reign, it shall ever increase and never end. So we know this is not Solomon. Because Solomon died like all men, and his son succeeded him. So this is a promise of a greater David, a greater king. We know him as the king of kings. And it's important that Joseph and Mary would be in the line of David from the tribe of Judah. Judah being one of the 12 sons of Israel. And as the, the son of Israel, Judah, had children who had children who had children who had children, that was considered a tribe, a family line. And so in that family line of Judah was David. And from David, long, long, long down the line, we have Mary and we have Joseph. And so this son to be born would fulfill prophecy given to David at his uh, transitioning from kingship to his son Solomon. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed. You, you know this, but betrothal was a legally binding uh, engagement. It had to be broken off by legal terms. You couldn't just take the ring off, throw it at the, at the you know, engage that you're mad at and say, I'm done, it's over. No, you had to break this legally. And so betrothal was a, a bit deeper than our engagement process. Who was with child? So Mary is pregnant. And while they were there, 
Bethlehem, city of David, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. That firstborn uh, is in two senses. Firstborn meaning literally the firstborn of her children. And in, in Mark, amazingly, we get the names of Jesus' four brothers and we get sisters, plural. So Jesus definitely had a family of seven children him being one of them. Now, sisters could mean more, but wouldn't it be just like God loving the number of seven to make Mary's family have seven children, okay? And uh, two, two of those you're familiar with because they're books of the Bible, James and Jude. James and Jude, named in Mark. Well, also, firstborn has a second sense in which we don't use in America. That sense is the inheritor, the one who will receive the inheritance, and we know that Jesus, according to the epistles, especially Colossians, is the firstborn among many brothers. And his inheritance is the entire universe, the entire creation. And so he is Mary's firstborn son. And she wraps him in swaddling cloths and lies, lays him, laid him in a manger. There was no place for them in the end. Now, this is, this is telling here. Okay? We, we can read right over it and not see what's happening. What's happening is many people are traveling to Bethlehem to be registered because of this census that's being taken. And so Bethlehem would be jammed with people. And so as they arrive, she is maybe in labor, maybe her water has broken, and it's kind of like panic mode here, and it's just them. How do you know it's just them? Because someone would be aiding her if there was someone there to help, and here she is wrapping this freshly born baby up herself, meaning she was by herself. They are poor and, and in need. And we know that they're poor because just down the verses into chapter 2, Mary is offering the cleansing sacrifice, which is commanded in the Old Testament for those women who have babies. And two options are there. One, for a, a woman who has means, she can give one kind of offering. And one, for a woman who is poor, she can give a second kind of offering, which would cost much less. Mary gives the second kind of offering. So Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and owner of all things, was born into not only a very poor family, Family, but was born homeless and remained homeless when he started his ministry. For he said in the Gospels, foxes have holes. Someone comes to him and says, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. Think about it. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, a title from Daniel chapter 7, the one who would inherit the kingdom and of his rule there shall be no end. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm homeless, man. You want to follow me? We're going to be sleeping under the stars. We're going to be sleeping in the woods. We're going to be camping out on people's couches. You want to roll? Follow me. Let's go. Now, we know that as Jesus was a child, he lived a normal childhood, a normal adolescence, a normal uh, teenage years, a normal into his 20s. Because when he declared himself to be the Messiah, no one was like, we knew it. No, everyone was like, wait a minute, this is, this is Joseph's son. This is Mary's son. Who does he think he is? And so he's rejected even by his own brothers. And so if there was evidence... Massive evidence that he was anything but a regular Jewish boy growing up, then his brothers surely would have known it. But his brother and his mothers actually show up during his earthly ministry and they're like, he's crazy. We're going to take him in. He's having messianic delusions. 
And, and so Jesus is teaching with a large crowd around him, as is often the case in the Gospels. And someone says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And he says, who are my mother and brothers? These, these disciples all around me, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Distancing himself earthly from his mother and from his earthly adopted father. Now, in addition, what we see here is, is this wrapping him in swaddling cloth. Now, you know, when babies are in the womb, they, they live in this, this comfortable body, internal body temperature of the mother, and it's nice and cozy, and they're protected, and then they get thrust out into the cold, into the danger, which is why you would cry too, and you probably did cry when it happened to you. So when you wrap a baby up, we do this still to babies. We put them in a, a little tight outfit, and they can barely breathe. They can, you know, breathe little breaths because they're, they're being suffocated almost by the swaddling cloths. It feels like you're back in the womb a little bit. You remember your swaddling cloths, how, how comfortable you felt? Those first two days, those first few hours, it was great, wasn't it? And so this is what's happening. This is normal birth. Jesus needed swaddling cloths just like you and I needed them. He didn't come out glowing with his own external or internal heat source like you see in the Catholic art. It's kind of weird glow emanating heat and light. No, he was normally born just like you and I, but his circumstances were much different than you and I because you and I got to be born, at least most of us, in a hospital with like massive amounts of nurses and doctors and assistant doctors and warmth. But no, Jesus is born homeless. So there's no room for him in the inn, and a couple things could be happening. One, Often these types of homes were, were, were stuck into caves. And so maybe he was born in the outdoor cave. Perhaps it was the, the lower court of a poor person's house there in Bethlehem where the animals were kept. Often animals were kept in the outside but yet sheltered courtyard. Or perhaps it is more traditionally what we think of as like an external place where the animals are kept. But whatever the case, he is laid in the place where the animals would eat from. And so you can imagine hay, you know, s special kinds of grains, but, but no soft mattress, no really soft microfiber, you know, cuddliness, no little stuffed animals to, to snuggle with. No, in fact, it was C.S. Lewis who said probably the, the, the sharpness of the hay was even prickling him, reminding him of what is to come, the crown of thorns and the pain that will be endured. And so even at his birth, he's laid in uncomfortable places, born into extreme poverty. Now, now there's a reason this happens. It's so that Jesus can relate to the lowest of the lowest of the low who roam the earth of any generation. There is not a poor person on this planet who can't identify experientially with Jesus Christ. Now that's amazing. He went as low as you could go so that the guy on the street who's in Oakland outside Starbucks and he's always asking for coffee or change, that guy can relate to Jesus experientially. Experientially. And so this is why Jesus was not only low and humble, but he did it to identify with the lowest classes of the earth. And this is a beautiful thing that God would do. Go from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. Now, this is a prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it says, but you, O Bethlehem, 
Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Remember the lion from the tribe of Judah. You shall come forth for me. You shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. This prophecy here is being fulfilled in what we just read. Now imagine that prophecy written long before, not the intent of Caesar, probably not the intent of Mary and Joseph. They weren't thinking, we got to get to Bethlehem so we can fulfill Micah. No, no. They're just doing what seemed normal and what was commanded by the government. And so they're going about their normal life and God is behind the scenes orchestrating providentially, sovereignly all things. Now, that should be an encouragement to you because we look at our lives as if we're making the decisions and other people are making decisions that are affecting us and God might be involved up there. You know, he's probably watching Netflix, but he's probably not caring about me and he's probably not involved in my life. Friends, this scene alone should show you that God is involved intimately. And so the picture is they make it in just in time for Jesus to be born. And in the same region, there were shepherds in the field watching over their flock by night. Now, shepherds at this time were not a a, a high class of people. You know, we kind of look at shepherds nostalgically. And and we look at them kind of like favorably. And and we should because all through the New Testament and Old Testament, God is the, the shepherd. Of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus in 1 Peter is the chief shepherd. But in these days, shepherds were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't come into the temple. They couldn't come into the worship because they were with unclean animals. And they lived outside. And so these were rugged individuals. And so here comes God to announce that the king of kings has been born. And he comes to a class of people who are despised and not even able to enter into ceremonial worship outcasts. I find that tremendously interesting. Again, Jesus identifying with the lowest of the low, the disrespected, and the unloved. And so here they are out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, one angel. Okay, So one solitary angel in the sky, and you can imagine if it's a clear night, if it's dark out, and you're kind of laying on the hill, and you, all you hear around you is, Meh. I can't do a good sheep, I apologize. But imagine sheep and goats. Theo, go ahead, buddy. You're, you're, you're the champion. Perfect. Thank you. And so you hear that all around you, and all of a sudden, this bright being shows up in the sky, and you're like taken back, and you're shocked, and your mouth is open, and your eyes look like tea saucers, and all of a sudden... The glory of the Lord shone around them, them, the shepherds, and they were filled with great fear. You would too. You would too. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now we'll get back to this, but that I bring you good news, we know that as gospel. It's literally the word. I bring you the gospel, which will be for all people. What's the gospel? Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one, the one who would be anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure. And the Lord is the Old Testament word for Yahweh. 
Jehovah, God, the Messiah, Yahweh, and He is a Savior. This is the good news, friends, that God has come as Savior. He has entered into the world to identify with the lowest of the low, and the good news is first proclaimed to outcasts. I love it. This is the pattern of God. And verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. Okay, so we're going to confirm this message here, shepherds. You're going to see this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, do you think there were any other newborn babies laying in mangers in Bethlehem at this time? No, just one. And so when they're going into Bethlehem, not a huge city, not like downtown Pittsburgh, a small village, they're going to just look through. They're going to look for the lights. They're going to look for the stables. They're going to look for feeding troughs, and they're going to be like, there he is. There he is, just like the angel said. This will be the sign. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel, with the solo angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Now, it's been said like this. I think this is brilliant. Here comes an army of angels not declaring war, but proclaiming peace and good news. An army of the most powerful beings that we know of not come to wreck shop, not come to destroy, but rather to give good news. This is God. This is What's happening? And so the glory of God is seen all through the Old Testament. It's the Shekinah glory of God. It's the, it's the glory that Moses saw. And when he embraced it, he glowed. He lit up for days afterward when he went away from it. This is the glory of our sons. And by sons, I mean stars. You know that our sun is a star. And you know it's a little yellow dwarf star of which our whole existence depends here on earth. Now, you realize there are stars out there that millions of our star could fit inside of. You know that, right? And so here's the glory of God, which outshines all the suns, lighting up the sky to these shepherds in Bethlehem. What a sight to see. And notice, he didn't do it over the capital city. He didn't appear to Herod. He didn't appear to Caesar Augustus and show the glory. No, to the lowly, outcast shepherds of no report they don't have any followers on instagram or twitter right they, they got nothing no one's even going to believe them if they tell their story but yet this is god and what do they proclaim verse 14 glory to god in the highest it's like a song that they're singing and on earth peace peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that, those with whom he is pleased, that is specifically aimed at certain individuals upon which his grace lands. The good news does go to all people, but his favor, his grace, his specific saving grace lands on individuals, not all people. And it can land on you tonight, friends. You have to receive it, though. You must receive the gift of this baby, his person, his work accomplished for you. If you don't receive it, this kind of favor, this peace among 
that rests on those with whom he's pleased will not rest on you. It's on you to receive this peace, this favor. Let's finish. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, now I find it fascinating here. That I, we don't know how these angels appeared and disappeared out of our time and space continuum. You know, was it like hyperspeed Star Wars and Star Trek where they're just, they just appear, you know, light speed and they just appear? Or did, did, did the interdimensional space rip open for just a second for the reality of the glory of God, which is here, but we can't perceive? Did, did it just open up for a second and then close? We, we don't know, but they go back into the heavenly realms. That's what it says. Look. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, now we, we imagine heaven being galaxies and galaxies away. But what if heaven is actually really close, but in a dimension that's not time and space like ours? And so you open up the wormhole and you come out and then you go back into the heavenly places, which is actually right here among us, maybe. It's what it seems like to me. You look at the appearance of angels in the Old Testament, and they're here, but we can't perceive them until God does something to the person to be able to see. And yet they're interacting all the time with us, both angels and demons. All right, let's, let's move on from that, because that's interesting, but we don't have time. And they went, the shepherds, they went with haste. They, they ran, they rushed, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So when they show up, they're like, you're not going to believe, Mary and Joseph, what we just saw. You know, their eyes are still wide. Their breath is now, because <gasps> they went with haste. They ran. And so they get there, and they're like, you're not going to believe what we just saw. And so, the, you know, Mary and Joseph are just like, what, what is going on, you know? They didn't see the angels. And so as they're told these things, you got to remember, this is blowing Mary's mind, who is between 12 and 15 years old. This is blowing her mind. Miraculous thing after miraculous thing keeps happening to her. And here it is again. Running, rushing shepherds show up with this crazy message of what they just saw. We were told you'd be here, and, and here you are, and here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest and peace and Mary treasured up, verse 19, all these things and pondered them in her heart. Ma Mary was the type to just take these, <laughs> these events in and just maul them over, treasure them up, store them up, meditate on them. You know, just like you are supposed to fill your heart with Scripture, you, you, you store up God's Word that you might not sin against Him. You, you store them up and you meditate on them. And, verse 20, the shepherds returned. So, so look at this. The event happened. They see it. They believe it. They tell the story. And then it's back to normal life. Isn't that amazing? Like, we, we almost expect the manger scene to get stuck in time. Because it lands on, like, underneath our Christmas tree and in ornaments and in paintings and in decorations of Christmas. And it's like, bam, there it is. There is Christmas. Meanwhile, look, they see the scene, they tell what happened, and then they go back to work. Isn't that amazing? Did you ever think about that? Look, the shepherds returned. But they returned with a new attitude and a changed heart. Look at this. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen 
as it had been told them. They believed the message, the good news they were given. They went and saw, and it was confirmed, and they went back to work, but they went back to work ecstatic, glorifying, praising God that God had visited them, them. And verse 21, we'll finish. And at the end of eight days, now you remember, this is Genesis 17, when Abraham is told, this is the covenant I'm making with you. Everyone in this people that I am creating, everyone who is of the people of God must be circumcised on the eighth day. And as we saw with Jesus' cousin John earlier in the letter, uh, or in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is also named and circumcised on the eighth day according to what was told to Abraham and then later confirmed in the law of Moses. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, you remember that story from earlier if you were with us. Gabriel the angel shows up to Mary, and he says, you are going to be with child. And then he shows up in, not in Luke, but in Matthew, and he says to Joseph, who is wondering, how could this be, and I, I need to, to divorce Mary, but I don't want to shame her publicly, and I don't want to disrespect her in front of the eyes of everyone, so I'm going to do this quietly and behind the scenes. And Gabriel shows up to Joseph, and he says, look, what's been done has been done by God. And this child is going to be of the Holy Spirit, and you are to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus literally means Savior. The Lord saves. And so this is why he was born, friends, to save his people from their sins. And his whole life was one of fulfillment, obeying the moral law of God, obeying, fulfilling, obeying, fulfilling, obeying, fulfilling. And he goes to the cross, which is the reason he was born. And he pays the sin debt of all those who will, listen, receive him. He doesn't just pay the sin debt of all the people in the world without respect and without consideration. And even if you don't care, or even if you worship other gods, or even if you don't acknowledge him, no. He pays the sin debt, listen, for his people. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are you his people? I heard one yes <laughs> from the front row. <laughs> Listen, friends, I, I implore you, I beg you tonight, receive this gift. You're not here on accident. This message is not landing on you by mistake. There, there is no such thing as by chance. There is no random events. You're here to hear this message tonight so that you might receive this gift from heaven. So that that favor and peace of God might rest on you and not go over your head. You need to receive him. To those who received him, John tells us in John chapter 1, who believed in his name, he gave them, only them, the right to become the children of God. Will you receive him tonight? This is the gift of heaven. Listen, we give gifts to celebrate this gift. And how sad that you would give all kinds of people you love gifts, but you won't receive the gift, the capital G. The one who would save you from your sin. You, you know you're guilty. Just like I know I'm guilty. 
Friends, I'm reminded on a daily basis of my sin and my failure to measure up. And, and let's, let's do this for one second and we're done. Let's throw out the Ten Commandments. Let's throw out the law of God. How have you judged other people? Have you got offended at their rudeness this week when you were Christmas shopping? These target people, you know. Like, have you got offended at people not considering you on the road during this Christmas season? Have you bumped into family because it's the Christmas season and just been appalled at their attitude? And the, now, now let's do that same thing. What about when you're rude? What about when you offend people? What about when you're not considerate? You see, in judging someone else for whatever you can look at and say, that's wrong. When someone lies to you and you're like, I am outraged. What about when you lie? You've just condemned yourself because you're able to see the wrong that someone else does to you, but then you go and do the same thing that you know is wrong. You're guilty. We don't even need you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't covet, and we don't need it. Just you do the same things that you get mad that others do to you. There it is. You've condemned yourself. Friends, we know we're guilty. And we have an opportunity to have our guilt, listen, not land on us, but be diverted and land on another, and our guilt be absorbed by a substitute on a cross, the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ. This is why he came, friends. This is why he came. Why do you think 2,000 years after his birth, we're still celebrating his birth? Because he was born to accomplish something, the death that you should die the death that I should die. This is Christmas. And though we celebrate with family and we celebrate with good food and we celebrate by giving gifts, you must not miss the gift and the reason why we're celebrating it.